hello everyone and welcome back to the channel now before i start today's video you know i just want to say if you guys could please if you are watching and if you're a new viewer go ahead and hit that i just hit my mic but go ahead and hit that subscribe button down below that'd be greatly appreciated i'm at 282 right now i'm on the road to 300 so if you could subscribe that'd be greatly appreciated but uh today's episode I'm just going to be going over the World Football League. I think that's a pretty, uh, you know, not as well-known uh, secondary league uh, compared uh, to the NFL. That was, uh, that spanned from uh, 1975 to 1976 or 1974 to 1975, I believe. Um, and, uh, I mean, it, it was an interesting league. So I thought I'd go ahead and talk about it here so without further ado let's get right into it okay so the world football league or wfl was a football league that looked to compete with the nfl and cfl with players from both associations on strike the wfl sought to swoop in and sign players that would excite the start of a new league which it did signings of players like larry sanka jim kick Paul Warfield, Ken Stabler, Daryl LaMonica, John Gilliam, and many more. This league introduced a 20-game schedule, played in 18, week, uh, 18 weeks, sorry, with a lot of, uh, with multiple teams playing uh, multiple times a week to fit in that 20-game schedule and within that 18-week uh, limit, and a choice for a one-point conversion play uh, instead of extra point field goal. Um, compared to the NFL, and I feel like that's been something that has been adopted by many secondary leagues, that one-point conversion or just a play instead of a kick, but I'm not really exactly sure why a lot of the leagues have it. I mean, I get it, though. You got to add something a little bit more fresh, a little fresher to the football landscape, so I mean, that's, that's fair, um, but the WFL was one of the leagues that tried to compete with the NFL and ultimately failed multiple teams going under, scandals dealing with ticket sales, and shady owners all brought about the downfall of the World Football League. The first two weeks of the WFL appeared to be great, with the Jacksonville Sharks accumulating nearly 106,000 fans and the Philadelphia Bells bring in over 120,000 fans. Here we get to see the first financial falter in the WFL. The Jacksonville Sha uh, Sharks, <laughs> I almost said Jaguars, Sharks uh, reported that 30,000 people had gotten in for free, and the Bells stated that over 100,000 people got in for free or bought significantly reduced price, uh, you know, or bought significantly reduced price tickets. Um, but it was also reported that the owners of the teams did not pay the minimum of $120,000 to fund the team being added. Seems that this portion was rushed due to the league looking to add 12 teams as soon as possible. This was mainly due uh, because the owner um, of the league uh, believed that there was another football league coming in, um, and so they just wanted to start as soon as possible. So they wanted to have 12, le 12, 12 teams in the league, but um, I guess mainly due to, um, you know, just being a little bit even. And then, yeah, and then also the owners being a little bit shady i think they just couldn't get the money forward 
So they kind of just were like, yeah, you know, you'll get the money somehow during the season. We'll just hurry up and get the 12 teams in here and then um, we'll figure it out, which kind of definitely did not help with what they were doing. And I mean, just overall, it was it was not good. Um, and it also didn't help that they gave Larry Sanka, Jim Kick, and Paul Warfield a whopping $3 million combined, which is one of the biggest three-player deals in sports history. Quite literally, the definition of spending the money before you have it. Most sports leagues in general gain most of their profit through brand sponsorships or television deals. In this case, the WFL couldn't do much. The NFL and CFL reached an agreement that the WFL couldn't work with any brands that um, that either league worked with. This obviously hurt the league, and not many companies wanted to work with them due to the controversy surrounding the league in just its infant stages. Since the league wasn't properly funded, this caused the teams within the league to be as well. There were many cases where the players for these teams weren't paid, with the Portland Storms players being fed by sympathetic fans, the Hornets having their jerseys impounded due to laundry costs that weren't paid when they were in New York because they had um, originally started in New York and then they relocated uh, to, I believe, uh, Charlotte. Um, and then the Birmingham Americans players weren't paid for the last two months of the season. The Florida Blazers went three months without pay. The Hornets players were also not being paid after the third week of October. And the, the Sharks weren't paid for their last six games. The only three teams that were financially covered were the Hawaiians, Bell, and Southman. With the, with the chaos of a league and season, the allure of a new football league continued to dissipate. And just like that, the 1975 season came to an end. The WFL's first bowl game, or World Bowl One, was played by the Birmingham Americans and the Florida Blazers, which that came with a lot of chaos, mainly due to the Jacksonville Sharks, I believe, relocating to San Antonio, I believe, and the Sharks were to host World Bowl One, or the WFL already had a you know uh, an agreement to uh, start. Um, you know, with the uh, uh, with the World Bowl one being in Jacksonville, but since Jacksonville relocated, Jacksonville, I guess, basically just called it off. So they were kind of already in a scramble to find some you know way of getting there. And I mean, just it it was just bad overall during the season. So it was even a miracle that they were able to finish this one season. And the Americans, who again were not paid for two months said that they would only play the game if they were promised championship rings if they won and i wouldn't be shocked if the players ended up selling those rings to get money because you know they weren't uh paid for two months luckily they did receive the rings at least it looks like it since there are multiple pictures of the rings from the exact season and game uh the americans ended up winning 22 to 21 in a very close late comeback game led by the Blazers. Even after the season ended, the league still had a lot of controversy. The Americans' jer the, sorry, the Americans jerseys were seized due to unpaid debts by the team, and this was just right after they won the game. Like they won the game and then immediately their jerseys were taken from the locker room, uh, which was pretty interesting to see. I've never seen that before. 
Um, and coaches and players left to go play and coach in the NFL, obviously. And the biggest of them all was the Blazers' owner, uh, Rami Loud, who was financing the team through selling cocaine and a tax evasion scheme. During the season, teams relocated several times to stay afloat. The ambassadors went from Baltimore to Maryland to Washington, D.C., and then finalized playing in Virginia to not being able to use the, at the time, Redskins RFK Stadium. The Houston Texans moved to Shreveport, Louisiana, and became the the Shreveport Steamer. And the New York Stars relocated to Charlotte, North Carolina, and became the Charlotte Hornets. Um, And the NBA team hadn't existed yet at that point, so... They were still able to have that name. Then, in the second WFL season, the Florida uh, Florida Blazers relocated to San Antonio, Texas, to be called the San Antonio Wings. Obviously, these relocations affected fan engagement because fans weren't going to follow a team that left their city, especially such a new one that doesn't have much history rooted in the area. Somehow, by some divine intervention, the WFL got their second season. Under new management by Christopher Hemeter, multiple teams were changed around due to new ownership, and this time the league fees were paid by the ownerships of the teams. With this new step, it seemed that the WFL would be successful, but it was the exact opposite. See, Hemeter had a set capitalization requirement, which meant that any team that fell under that amount would be kicked out of the league. In this instance, it was the Chicago Wins who went under first. After trying to acquire Super Bowl III MVP Joe Namath, the Wins paid a lot of money just to be humiliatingly rejected by Namath. The money that Chicago spent to just to just be rejected by Namath hurt them a lot financially, which caused the team to go under just five games into the season. With most of the players that brought eyes into the league being gone, so were the television deals. Most games were no longer televised, which caused the WFL to be practically ignored in the grand landscape of the sports realm. With that, the WFL ended up shutting down just 13 weeks into the 18-week season. With the second season of the WFL cut short, the players that signed to the WFL from the NFL wanted out of those contracts. See, when an NFL player that was under contract tried to go to the WFL, they would need to wait for their contracts with their current NFL team to end. So, this was shown through the deal with the uh, with uh, Raiders quarterback Daryl LaMonica, who was signed with the Raiders uh, up until, I believe, the 1976 season. Um, so, he signed at their initial first season of WFL. So, a lot of these players that had signed originally hadn't seen, you know, what a dumpster fire the league had become um, at the time since it was just, you know, right before it started. So a lot of the players signed deals with them um, for, you know, however long up until their NFL contracts ended. So Daryl LaMonica, his contract ended in 1976 or the 1975 season. So he would have to join the WFL in 1976. Um and then another one uh, was actually in a very interesting tale of, in the case of John Matuzak, uh, who illegally 
hopped on the Houston Texans from the NFL's Houston Oilers. I assume Matuzak was disgruntled with his playing time with the Oilers and wanted to actually play. Since Matuzak's contract ended in 1977, he's pulled out of the game five minutes in after he recorded a sack, though. I mean, uh, he, he did pretty good, but, I mean, he was he went to the game, he was just stretching, and then, like, you know, Marshalls came over and basically just handed the Houston Texans in WFL a restraining order, uh, which made uh, John Matuzak not be able to play for the Texans up until his contract was over. And since Matuzak's contract ended in 1977, um, you know, he wasn't able to play. And, I mean, I bring up these cases just to show that there were still players that had contracts with the league, even though they collapsed halfway through the season. These players then had to back out of the contract, causing the WFL to pay more money, even more money than what they had. And a lot of these teams were liquidated after the first season. And then going into the second season again, a lot of teams were liquidated uh, for basically nothing compared to, you know, the amount of money that was probably put into them. So it just overall was not that good for the WFL, just trying to get everything settled, at least, uh, because a lot of them did go to court um and uh then with the end of the wfl both the birmingham and memphis clubs which were both greatly funded needed somewhere to go the memphis club rejected their uh or sorry the memphis club decided to join and uh decided to try and join the nfl however the nfl rejected their joining and uh or joining the league in which they filed an antitrust suit against the NFL. According to the Wikipedia page for the case, in quotes, uh, I, I'll probably just pull it up here, but uh, uh, just to quote it here, it said it was a lawsuit filed by John F. Bassett, the owner of the World Football League's Memphis Grizzlies, against the National Football League, claiming that the NFL violated the antitrust laws by refusing to admit his club to their league. The court found that the NFL had not acquired or maintained its monopoly power unlawfully and that the rehearsal or the refusal to expand to Memphis did not contribute to its maintenance. It further elaborated that such refusal was actually pro-competitive because it left the Memphis area open to rival leagues. By the time the lawsuit had settled, Bassett had gone on to found the Tampa Bay Bandits of the United States Football League, which... It's a whole nother story there. Um, while Memphis received the Memphis showboats of the same league, as such, the case effectively became arguable. I think the secondary league concept for football has been something that fans would like to see thrive. As we can currently see, the two most popular secondary leagues, being the XFL and USFL, are backed by many football fans in general. While we as fans may not be as interested in keeping up, with all the games in comparison to watching every NFL game, it's still fun to see emerging talents that weren't able to have their time right now or right out of the gate in the NFL. However, I think the WFL stint in football history has a great detriment to how secondary leagues are perceived. I believe that most people see these secondary leagues as being underfunded and most of the time not entertaining due to the lack of tremendous talent. Again, in comparison to the NFL. Currently, I feel that these secondary leagues are serving as great extensions 
for the NFL to scout players or try new rules. And in the, in the XFL's case, they deny being a minor league alternative to the NFL, but they have partnered with the NFL to test out new rules that could be impl- implemented into the league's rules. The WFL did have many players and coaches go to the NFL and be assistant coaches or play for Super Bowl champion caliber teams. Overall, I feel that the WFL has had a forgotten impact on secondary football leagues, mainly being the first to enter a landscape will cause there to be a multitude of mishaps and chaos. Just like it is being the first child in a family, WFL had to go through most of its growing pains without the help or blueprint from another league. The WFL, in my opinion, has grown to be a great and forgotten ancestor in the influence the football league had on the current landscape of secondary football leagues. Currently, you know, just ones I can fit off the top of my head, XFL, USFL, Spring Football League, Arena Football, FCF, um, a lot, you know, there's a lot more leagues. Uh, Most of the leagues still seek to provide what the WFL wanted to give to all football fans, another form of entertainment. While the NFL is and most likely will continue to be a hegemonic force within the football landscape, these secondary leagues provide us with some form of football that we can watch to keep us full until the next season. Um, The XFL and USFL are the two leagues that have emerged as great competitors for the NFL. While they still have a ways to go until they reach the same stage as the NFL, they have become fairly successful compared to many other leagues prior. I mean, XFL, again, could have its uh, own uh, video on how, you know, that ended up. But, and, you know, same with the USFL and AAF. I mean, there's there's a lot of football leagues that have failed and, tried to come back and failed once again. But, I mean, yeah, just compared this new XFL and this new USFL have proven to be, a, you know, way more successful than, you know, compared to the leagues that have been before them. And while the WFL may seem chaotic and just a mess from the outside looking in, the WFL's impact has lasted for a long time and has made a lasting imp- impact on how the landscape of football has changed. I mean, if you think about it, right, uh, the WFL was really just made to capitalize on this player's strike that was going on. And, you know, that's that's fair, just poaching, you know, other players from the league so they could play and give them, you know, fair pay um, from what, you know, the both the CFL and NFL players wanted. I think I think that's something that a lot of these new secondary leagues are getting into. I mean. Uh, with the emergence of, I think, just like so much outside talent, you know, say people just didn't get a fair, you know, fair crack at it in college or a fair shot within the NFL. You know, they may have been successful in college, but they just couldn't get into the NFL or, you know, practice squad players, you know, consistent practice squad player just couldn't make it to the starting lineup. I think a lot of these players have gotten something new you know there's there's something new that has been brought into this new football landscape um and i think that wfl was really one of the first to really do it again while it may have seemed really chaotic and just not good um i think it brought something new that has lasted for a long time i mean uh vince mcmahon's first xfl tried to capitalize off of it mainly due to gimmicks and, you know, 
that's probably the why the reason why they fell and went under. Um, the AAS I think was the second uh, uh, secondary league, second secondary league uh, that tried uh, to make something happen because uh, it wasn't this new AAF, but it was previously, and I think uh, it was the one previously before that one. Um, I think I saw multiple times that the AAF was like the next WFL and then that fell under. I think it's just the NFL is just a really big company. And, um, but I think, I think we've seen something that, uh, is great. I mean, this new introduction of football content mixed with, you know, players that haven't gotten a chance. I mean, Cavante Turpin. Uh, from the USFL, he's now Cowboys kick returner, and I mean he's been doing great. One of the biggest stories in the NFL, in my opinion. Uh, Maurice Alexander came in mid-season for the Lions. Um, the only reason I know is I'm a Lions fan, but I mean he was a good USFL kick returner and wide receiver, and uh, he's gotten his stage for the Lions. I mean he's a really good returner. He just got a, kick, a punt return for a touchdown in this preseason and I mean there's still USFL players being signed XFL players being signed to NFL teams and it's not like it's a big rivalry where you know the XFL is just like no NFL can ever be spoken I mean the XFL is really promoting their brand as a way for players to you know make a step up you know and make a career in what they love doing um and same with the USFL um while you know the USFL seems a little bit smaller compared to the XFL, just funding wise and you know how they get their TV deals done, I think both leagues have really done a good job of staying afloat. I mean, a lot of these seas, a lot of the seasons have been cut short. I mean, XFL's second stint um, was only cut short due to COVID. Same with AAF. Um, the USFL was one of the first to come back after COVID, um, and you know they they were doing great. I think overall, it was just it's just something new. I again I keep saying it's something new, but it's just something that's been brought into the football landscape that I think should stay for a, a while. I think while like in my opinion, I think there should be more of a minor league football league. So kind of like how the G League for the NBA, or you have Double A baseball teams or Triple A baseball teams that have been. Uh, that are connected to the MLB, uh, same with NHL, where they have minor league hockey. I mean, I feel like football could definitely benefit from it. Um, I mean, they do have their practice squad players, so, I mean, it's just basically a glorified practice squad league. But, I mean, you can get so much new talent from just these new uh, facets of entertainment for both football fans. I mean, there's a lot of singular players that have gotten a big fandom just by being good in one football league and you know these fans have connected to these players on an emotional level and follow them throughout their journey to the NFL um and I think a lot of players are getting their shot at what you know you know what has become the one percenters of football players right like you know we always say that you know getting into uh, football in colleges, you know, it's kind of give or take, right? But then once you're getting into the NFL, it's, 
you know, there's only seven rounds. There's only 200, what, 265 picks in every year. So you're one of the one percenters. And add in all the off-season signings, the undrafted free agents. So, I mean, overall, I think a lot of these secondary football leagues are bringing, bringing in more talent that we've ever seen before in the football landscape. And I think this, I think it's only a positive for football. Now, I'm not sure if the NFL sees that as a positive. Obviously, there's competition, but you really got to take it in. Is the competition really that close? Like, I mean, you know, my team, Las Vegas, the Vegas Vipers for the XFL, they've done, I mean, they weren't that good. But, you know, have I kept up with them all the way through the season? No, but I've stayed with the Raiders and the Lions for the entire season. Or, I mean, I have been to an XFL game. And I've also been to an NFL game. I can tell you it's very, very different. But, um, you know, the the landscape of it all. I mean, USFL, the Michigan Panthers, I don't really keep up with them. They're not really the best team in the league, so haven't really kept up with them. Um, but they, I mean, it's just, it's not that uh, much of a competition for the NFL. I feel like they're such a big company in the big landscape and big picture of things that, I think these secondary leagues, they don't really have to worry about a secondary league kind of taking their spot, you know, as long as, you know, they just stay in check and don't have another player strike or something crazy. Because, I mean, even in the 70s, I feel like the NFL was kind of getting an early stage on things because originally football wasn't really as big as it was. I mean, even the NFL wasn't as big as it used to or is now, you know. It used to be kind of... it. It even used to be smaller than college football. So the NFL has just grown, and I think those player strikes were just part of those growing stages. And I think a lot of these new players, I mean, they're practically paying for free in comparison to NFL deals, even practice squad deals. So, I mean, these these players that are playing in secondary leagues are really trying to play for something. I think that's what makes it so entertaining is that they're they're – actually fighting tooth and nail to have an opportunity to make it into the NFL whereas I feel like some NFL players you know they they made it you know they've made it and now they don't really have to do anything and so I think that's what that's what a lot of people gravitate towards especially me as a football fan just in general I just like watching the game of football and I think uh, these people you know they're, they're really fighting you know their hardest to make into a league that again, it's full of one percenters practically. So, and some of them are able to make it. And I feel, I, I think that's just great in my opinion. I, seeing, you know, players from secondary leagues make it is just like, it's crazy. You know, like you never would have thought that these players, you know, they just, what, D, D2, D3, or even D1 players that just couldn't really get into the NFL, they have a second chance. Just hit my mic. Uh, but they have a second chance to really make things right, and I it's it's just a it's just a good watch, I think, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, I thought I'd just go over the WFL, my little rant there at the end. But I mean, I just thought I'd go over the WFL because you know I watched a few videos on it, and I thought it was just an entertain or interesting and entertaining topic to talk about because it was really one of the first leagues in football that um you know paved a way 
even though it's it's kind of forgotten and only had one and a half seasons uh it's definitely a an interesting kind of domino effect of what it's what it's come into today and the forms that uh the WFL has taken into since I mean it's not the same league all the way through but it you know it, it's kind of a trickle down of you know some things that they've gotten before so I think overall uh WFL was just really entertaining to see you know how it's affected now the present day of secondary football leagues and just overall uh my thoughts on secondary leagues as a whole I think they're great and they should continue um I mean you know the XFL and USFL might have a battle I'll have to see what happens there if you know they do have a merger by any chance or if they just stay as separate entities that'd be great but I will just have to see what the future of the and the football landscape holds I feel like it's there's just so much you can expand on so can't wait to see what happens there but yeah, that'll be it for today's episode. Just going over those things, but uh, let me know if you guys liked it down below. Make sure you go ahead, leave a comment, like, and subscribe. And also share the video and episode uh, with anybody that you think may want to hear it or listen to it or watch it or anything. But again, we're so close to 300 subscribers on YouTube. So if you can go ahead and hit that subscribe button, that would greatly appreciate it. We're at 282. We need to make it to 300. So if you could, that'd be greatly appreciated. And if you're listening to the on podcast version, go ahead, leave a follow on the podcast channel and leave a that podcast episode a five-star review. That'd be greatly appreciated. Um, but again, that'll be it for today's episode. Thank you for listening and watching all the way through. Have a great rest of your day and bye.